21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Good day, my name is Matthew Burns and I'm currently the Chief Human Resources Officer here in Canada for a company called Yisk. We are a home retailer based and our origins are in Denmark. Uh, in my current capacity, I oversee the human resources, health and safety and communications functions for the organization. Uh, and I'm very lucky to work with a very dynamic HR team here that uh, is not only highly motivated, but recently was recognized for the most innovative use of HR technology here in Canada. Um, and when you have a chance to lead a winning team like that with such motivated, inspiring people, it feels good to come to work every single day. I've spent about 20 years in business in a number of management capacities, uh, the last 10 of which in mostly executive roles. Uh, my background is cross-functional. I've spent, actually, this was the first year I went over and spent most of my career in HR. Uh, I've spent previously some time in operations, marketing, and public relations. Uh, and I've really valued that, that variety of experience because it gives me a really good vantage point across an organization, as opposed to a, a very functionally focused perspective. I have a cross-functional perspective. Um, in addition, I've just completed an executive MBA program, which was an international program. Um, we started here in Vancouver in August of 2017 in the international component, but we made stops in Sao Paulo in October, Mexico City in January, and then Nashville in April. Uh, the program is largely finished, a couple of more papers to submit, but uh, then the graduation is complete and I get my life back. You get your life back. Get my so life it, back. It, it seems like it was a little bit challenging. I mean, with it your a, time. It, yeah, it was a life-changing experience. Mm -hmm. So for me, I went into the MBA believing very strongly that I was going to become a Fortune 500 CEO. I left the program wanting that not at all, um, and actually believing that my path probably lies more down entrepreneurial streams as opposed to the traditional corporate streams. Um, so for me, either the, you know, just the exposure uh, and the immersion into corporate cultures in a non-academic context was just so important. Uh, yes, we had classes in all of these cities, but I would say the real value for me was the experiential learning, which came as a result of people in those communities and in those countries taking the opportunity to introduce me to kind of how how they live, some of the challenges they're facing, some of the great things that happen in these countries. Um, and that for me, I was just a sponge. It took it all in. Um, not only did I spend some time in those countries for academic purposes, but I extended my stay in each of those cities to get to know the cities in a non-academic context, um, which I define as culture, food, music, people, arts. Um, so it did all that in each of those cities. And I'm so glad that I did because I think it really enriched the overall experience. Um, additionally, I was very deliberate in my desire to use the MBA learning throughout the entire process. So if I learned something on Friday, I would use it on Monday. Um, and some things went really, really well. Um, specifically, I rediscovered a passion for marketing. And I think we've talked a bit about some of the things I do on LinkedIn these days around sharing content and thought leadership. That's all the result of my MBA experience. Um, and then some things didn't work as well. Uh, I spent some time doing some, some analytics and some financial modeling and just reaffirmed the fact that that's not where my path is going forward. But I'm so thankful for the opportunity to, to have learned those tactical skills that I can now apply going forward. Uh, but again, I just in summary, I would just say for me, it came down to the experiences and the relationships I now have a global network of 90 plus people spread all across the world who are incredibly impressive and intelligent and values driven. Um, and I think the best is yet to come.
Mm. By, by the way, do you know Jesse Krieger? That's out of out of our discussion. You know Jesse? I mean, I Jesse Krieger wrote wrote great book, Lifestyle Entrepreneur. He's a great guy, and he's living around the world and doing some great stuff. And he already had few, you know, million plus dollars, US dollars uh, companies. And we had a great great show. You can listen to to great. I'll check that out for sure. Yeah. So let's 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 talk a little bit about your transformation. I mean, what what I'm um, experiencing listening to you you have a great capacity for a holistic approach not not just to to pro, to to particular problem but to life per se yes. because you have formal knowledge you you have life experiences etc so you spoke about innovative technology about your team about mm. spending some time abroad Transformation is so important those days. So if you can speak a little bit about your transformation through that life path. and, and For me as an individual? Sure, happy yeah. to do so. It's been a really interesting journey. So what I would say is going into the MBA program, I received some feedback for some people that I count as mentors, count as people that I trust and respect. And the, and the feedback was they having gone through MBAs themselves told me to to essentially buckle up, I was going to have a very big transformational journey, not only academically, but also for me as an individual. And I would say that if anything, they actually undersold the impact it would have. Um, for me, it completely changed my life. But it, the MBA was part of it. Um, the other part of it was largely the mindset that I applied going into the MBA. Um, I say that because of the 90 students that took that program, there were a portion of them that probably didn't generate the value that I did out of the program because they didn't seek the value from the program that I did going out of it. What I mean by that is um, I threw myself at opportunities to learn and opportunities to be uncomfortable throughout the entire process. Um, and that was, it was awkward. It's not easy to have a full-time executive position, have a family, do an executive MBA, and then also manage a side kind of business through social media and those things at the same time. The only way that's possible is by not spending too much time overthinking any one thing and just trying things and iterating and learning. So through the uh, kind of my journey, it started out with me really wanting, as I mentioned before, to have an impact and position myself as potentially an executive of Fortune 500 companies. That was my mindset. So when I came into the MBA, I had a number of goals, build connections, build the skill sets, build the, the toolbox needed to have that credibility at more senior levels. Um, and I even went as far as to target certain organizations that I wanted to work with in the future, started to build connections in those companies. Um, and, and maybe not with a view to short-term results, but certainly on a longer-term horizon. I didn't have any expectations that I'd come out of an MBA and get a job on a day one, but really just to start that journey and start that process. Um, very quickly uh, through the program, uh, through a combination of speaking with individuals from other cultures and other, other perspectives, um, and just through the immersive experiences that we went through in each of those countries, which each, by the way, provided something a little bit different. Um, their curriculum was very tailored to the expertise or at least the apparent expertise of the country. So I'll give you an example. Uh, when we were in Vancouver, a large portion of what we focused on was cross-cultural integration which as a Canadian, I can tell you, we take a lot of pride in being a very inclusive and diverse country. Um, you know, Canada is not a very old country. We don't have 200 years of history yet. So in reality, we're all kind of new with the exception of our, of our Aboriginal indigenous population here in Canada, uh, which is not the majority. Um, most of us are 
either second or third generation. A lot of us are first generation Canadian. And the great thing about that is because nobody's been here a really long period of time, no one feels a sense of entitlement around new people coming into the country. Everyone, it's like being at a, at a dinner party that you know nobody at and everybody else doesn't know anybody. It's kind of like that. Uh, and what that, what that manifests itself into in Canada anyway is um, being really inclusive and really open. Um, and we accept people for what they are. We don't ask them to acclimate themselves to our way of thinking, which I ultimately think is the, is the path forward as we go forward into a more global business. And as a more global culture, I actually think the methodology that Canada employs in terms of its own value structure is with the trend. Whereas, whereas countries that are applying more of an isolationist perspective, I, I think is against the trend. Um, so Vancouver was one example of that learning. We went, um, and, and just to give you an example of some of the experiential learning, we were sitting in class one day in Vancouver. We're learning about cross-cultural integration. You know, how do you, how do you work with people around the world that have different value structure that prioritize things differently? The best example I can give in an academic context is with, with students that were in the program, some of them were chasing GPAs. So some individuals wanted that certificate. They wanted that GPA. That was their primary goal. They were looking for a quantifiable result. Fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. Then you have another aspect of the class that doesn't care. What they're looking for is relationships and the experiential learning. To have that dynamic, even within small working teams, presents some really interesting conversations because some people are chasing A's and 4.0 GPAs, and some people just want to get the assignments done and then focus more on relationship building. So to be able to marry up those two objectives was, was one learning. The second learning, which is a bit more visceral, if you will, is we were sitting in class one day when Charlottesville, Virginia happened. And if just for those who haven't had a chance to, uh, may not recall that incident, that was the incident where an individual who, you know, was at a rally, drove their car into a pile of people, and unfortunately somebody lost their life in the process. That happened live while we were in a cross-cultural integration class. And the way I found out was the person sitting behind me gasp as they're looking at their iPhone and they're seeing this come up live that there was a rally in Virginia, there was a, pro a protest, a counter-protest, and someone drove a crowd into a crowd of people and somebody passed away. To be sitting in a class with Canadian students, with American students, with Brazilian students, with Mexican students, and that's happening live, you can appreciate it. It did not take very long before that spread throughout the class in about 45 seconds. And then we stopped the class and had a conversation about cross-cultural integration in a very realistic process. Because here it is being displayed live for us in real time as we're learning the academic and really a collision between practicality and academia. That gives you a little sense of you know, the program, but also the position the program put us in, in the context of socioeconomic and macroeconomic issues. So that was really, really interesting. Um, and really interesting to hear the perspectives from our American colleagues who themselves are very, very torn, because as you can appreciate, there's a lot of challenges right now in the United States. I love that country. I have, I have American family members. I spent a lot of time in the United States. Um, it breaks my heart to see some of the challenges that they're having within the United States right now. Um, but, and, but to hear it from individuals who live in the United States and to understand some of the challenges that they're having reconciling their own current state, but also the future, which is fascinating. Um, and that's one example. Then we, that's Vancouver. And Vancouver, I would say for me, was obviously the easiest transition culturally because I live in Vancouver. Then we go to Sao Paulo and the world is totally different. It's just, it's nothing like Vancouver. In, in, good ways and in ways that were challenging. Um, the income inequality, the disparity between the haves and the haves-nots, for lack of a better term, 
you have multi-million dollar mansions with helipads sitting next to favela. Like it's, it's like, it's right there in front of you. Whereas in North America, we generally put them into a corner. We isolate them from the rest of the population, which is a problem in itself. But that's just how we've dealt with that issue of income inequality in Canada. In Brazil and a lot of other countries around the world, it's side by side. On the same street, you have the mansion and the favela and the mansion and the favela. And you have people in Sao Paulo that don't actually walk on the streets, but rather helicopter from building to building because of traffic and because of security concerns. So you have that next to, you know, 10 people, eight people, six people living in a single room house, just trying to get by. And you have that on full display. Um, in addition, that's, that's some of the opportunities from a, from a positive perspective. I've never been to a city that had the energy of Sao Paulo. It is electric. It is the passion, the enthusiasm, the, the general optimism in that country blew my mind, especially when you consider some of the, um, some of the challenges the country is having. I mean, Brazil has been a, a very interesting case study for its entire you know, history, but certainly in the last little while, whether it be the, the corruption issues in the country around politics, whether it be the educational system, some of the challenges they've been having, the economy. Um, you know, we, we affectionately refer to Brazil's economy in our class uh, as chicken flight. So, you know, a chicken doesn't, doesn't fly for very long, gets up in the air, and then all of a sudden crashes to the ground. That's kind of been Brazil's economic history over the last several generations. They show some momentum, everyone gets really excited, and then it catapults and just plummets to the ground. And a lot of that's because of, of systemic barriers that prevent the country from having long-term success and a number of other issues that I'm not an expert in, but just seeing that and contextualizing that and hearing from local economists, from um, local academics, from business leaders, but more importantly, from students, from citizens, from NGOs, and getting a really holistic perspective on the challenges, but also the optimism that exists in Brazil today was a phenomenal experience. Um, additionally, what I would say is we had an opportunity to interact with a, a group of students that were, for lack of a better term, being sponsored by the university in which we were attending, which is FIA in Sao Paulo. Um, and these were students that were remarkable, like just remarkable human beings that had born in most major world cities would be people that you and I would recognize on TV. They would be in publications. They would have huge businesses. They would have a huge impact and bright futures ahead of them. But because they're born in Brazil, they're faced with challenges that we just simply don't have. I don't have to travel three hours each way to and from school. That's not a reality that I've ever had to face. I've never had to sit down and have a conversation with my parents when I was a teenager to say, either you go to school or you earn money from the family. You can't have it both ways. That's a really tough conversation to have with anybody who's not even of the age to vote let alone have to make decisions like that for the family, a very difficult conversation to have, but that's reality there. That's not, that's not, um, you know, that's not concept. That is practicality in the majority of families at certain income levels in that country. So to hear some of those stories was really eye-opening because of course, sometimes we can forget how privileged we are in some of our countries and certainly Canada would count amongst those privileged countries. Um, and to hear some of the encumbrances that they faced having success it was really an emotional experience. I mean, I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say that as individual students told their story, I became very emotional. Um, in terms of the, the approach, you know, I was visibly crying in public in front of my classmates, in front of these students, because I was so moved by not only the challenges they faced, but more importantly, the way they viewed their circumstances 
and, and how they intended to solve for them. So when I was 16 years old, I worried about myself. That was re- 16, 17. My primary focus was me. And by the way, it was at 25 and it probably was at 30 for the most part, if we want to be really honest. These individuals have had nowhere near the advantages that I've had, have had, have had to work and earn and struggle for everything they've ever gotten and all they could talk about. So we asked them a question, which was, so let's presume you get into university and you can have the impact you want to have. What does that look like? To a person, not one individual mentioned anything about themselves. Everything was about their family, their community, their country. That was the conversation. And to me, that was so inspiring that if anybody had license to say, it's my turn to have kind of my time in the sun, or it's my turn to, you know, maybe um, to withdraw where I've deposited into this world, it would be these individuals. But these people, these students, these impressive professionals that are going to obviously have some success in the future, they could not help but talk about everybody else but themselves. And I was just so inspired by that, that I left that session and that city completely viewing life differently and um, determined to make a difference going forward. Not that would enrich me in any way, but rather to leverage some of the skills and some of the qualities that I have been blessed with to help them. Um, And it was a really interesting experience to have gone through that because I didn't expect that experience. Um, but it was almost, you know, a few things in life are binary. For me, it was binary. I walked into that experience thinking one way I walked out completely different. My value structure shifted on the ground while I was there. Um, and I'm looking forward to, as we move forward, I'm looking forward to having an ongoing relationship with not only Sao Paulo, but other, other places that I visited because I feel like they gave so much to me from a personal perspective, just added some more context that I want to give back. And the way I'll choose to give back is leveraging my gifts to help those places. Where it always feels good. So that wasn't enough. That's halfway through the program. Now we're into Mexico City, which is a whole different animal in and of itself. You know, yes, they're both Latin American cities. Yes, they're both 15 plus million people in in Mexico City and Sao Paulo. They couldn't be more different. Mexico is a very different place than Brazil uh, in a lot of different ways. Language being one, uh, culture being another, but also some of the challenges that they face in terms of their macroeconomic, socioeconomic issues. Um, And Mexico was, was for me from a personal perspective, the jumping off point to apply some of the the inspirational things that I'd learned in Brazil and start to make that difference that I was talking about. So for me, Mexico City and the focus of the program um, academically was family business, which in Mexico City is the the predominant structure of businesses. Um, But from a personal perspective, I took the opportunity to conceptualize and then film a documentary in Mexico City. That was outside the MBA, outside my job responsibilities. But, but I, was, I was so inspired by my opportunity and my exposure to the culture in Brazil that I said, okay, we talk a lot about in our classes about some of the things that are broken. And there's lots of things that are broken in Brazil, but also in Canada and Mexico and the United States. We did talk enough, I thought, about some of the great things in the country because 
you know, they're, they're doing a lot of things really, really well and a lot of things that we can learn from. So I was determined when I went to Mexico to unearth more of the positive things that were happening in that country with a view to getting a bunch of cross-functional perspectives on the same issues. The, the kind of the, the running theme through the documentary was workplace culture. It obviously sprung off a, a number of different directions. It went into places like NAFTA. It went into places like, um, you know, the educational system, the economy, but workplace culture was kind of a, uh, a jumping off point and a place we kind of went back to on a consistent basis. But we met with CEOs and tech individuals and recruiters and HR professionals and marketers um, and got a number of people to talk about their experiences. Um, that was a really awesome experience for me personally, because it, it demonstrated for me definitively that specifically in Latin America anyway, and I would say this is one area where, where Brazil and Mexico do have consistency, they place a much higher premium on relationships than we do in North America. And I think to our detriment in North America, I think sometimes we can be too transactional, too efficiency focused and too much focused on the result and not the process to get to the result. Um, and I'll use my example again of the MBA and the GPA conversation. I was somebody who subscribed personally to the experiential learning and the relationships. I didn't really care about the grade because for me, the GPA, no one will care six months after I graduate. I'm not aspiring to do a PhD. I was aspiring to get experiential learning. I didn't care if I had a 3.9 or a 3.4 GPA. It wasn't an interest to me because for me, the benefit is in the relationships. I think that's a, a very nice microcosm for how Latin America views business as well. Yeah, the job has to get done. Everyone understands that. But as of equal or greater importance is the relationships that you build with people in your enterprises. Um, and if you want to have success in Latin America as a business practitioner, whether you're in a corporate entity or whether you're an entrepreneur, if you don't place a high premium relationships, you will not get very far. Whereas if I'm operating in Germany, Austria, other places in Western Europe, it's results and the relationships in a lot of cases are a premium, but the results are what matters as the primary driver of, or assessor, if you will, of value. In Latin America, the result is a secondary piece. It's the relationship that is the primary piece. So that was Mexico City. And for me, a great experience to spend time uh, there academically, but also creatively. Uh, and then last but not least, we ended our studies in Nashville just recently. We finished off in April. Um, I spent a lot of time in the United States. I've worked for a lot of American companies. So for me, culturally, again, not a huge learning curve, but interesting because as the program comes to a close and as uh, our American colleagues employ their own approach to learning, it became very intense, very high pressure, very high threshold, which for me is very consistent with most American organizations. And it really becomes that battle of attrition. So it's kind of a unspoken reality where people say, if you can hack it, if you can survive through this program and through our American residency, you've earned your MBA. Like that was kind of the mentality. Um, so they piled us with tons of work. And we spent 18, 20 hours a day for five, six days straight, just working through some of the, the assignments. And our residency in Nashville culminated with two deliverables. The first one was a um, a capstone project that was, we were assigned a corporate client on a consulting project. We had to present that in Nashville, but the kind of the real PES, the resistance, if you will, was we had to develop a new concept, um, a new business concept, inclusive of a full business plan, P&Ls, operating plan, marketing plan, sales plan, like everything, full costing, and then present that plan to a panel of angel investors in Nashville who have real money to invest. Um, that for me was one of the big drawing features of the program period. Um, while I appreciate the feedback from 
my instructors and the academics in the world. For me, the opportunity to have real life feedback from people who actually invest in businesses was really critical because the questions that they ask are different and the lens in which they view the problems are different. Um, we were fortunate. I had an incredible MBA working team. Uh, everyone on the team was absolutely phenomenal, um, hardworking, committed to the team. And we had a lot of success as a, as a group as a result. Um, ultimately, we ended up, if you will, winning the pitch competition, uh, largely on the strength of the team. Just the amount of detail we went into and the amount of effort and the amount of um, the dedication to excellence really differentiated us early um, and, and pushed us to go further as other groups closed the gap between where we were and where they were. It just kept propelling us to go further and further and further and further. Uh, and a number of us were very, very high achievers and as a result pushed the group to go to those lengths. Um, so that was a really interesting experience. Um, then from the, again, the creative side, filmed the next chapter of the documentary uh, in Nashville. Um, by the way, I've, I've, I've kind of coined it the intersect, uh, the intersect because it's the intersection between technology and culture in a lot of ways and how I'm positioning it. Um, and in Nashville, uh, an interesting concept because Nashville is known as music city. I mean, that's, if you're, if you, if you want to make music in the United States, you go to Nashville, whether it's country music, R and B hip hop, like that's where you go. That's where a large amount of recording companies are based, talent agents, and of course, a lot of stages to, to do presentations. Um, it's also becoming a huge tech city. So it's becoming a huge technology center. So what a perfect place to talk about the intersection of technology and culture in Music City in an entrepreneurial place like Nashville. Uh, so when I reached out to guests to, to join me for the documentary, I had no shortage of interest and no shortage of impressive people that were willing to add their perspective and add some value to the process. Um, we also learned something from Mexico City. So you know, one of the things I learned about Mexico City and just general about the interviewing process was that there's a real there's a real innocence and a real authenticity around food and around meals. So in Nashville, part of the documentary was I actually booked an Airbnb, invited over seven guests, and we filmed dinner. So we just ordered a bunch of takeout and just ate and chat. And it was as simple as everyone went around the table and told their stories. And the stories that I heard were just so inspiring. Um, the individual people. Um, and I'm happy to go into individual stories if we have time. But what I would just say, just generally speaking, was whether they were CEOs, marketing professionals, public relations professionals, entrepreneurs, IT, finance, I met with folks from all walks of life, different age groups, different genders, different backgrounds, religious, race, etc. Um, there was so much commonality. Like there was so much commonality in terms of the perspective, unprompted. So the only thing I told my guests in advance was, we're here to talk about business as it stands today and where it needs to go going forward, period. People asked me for more talking points. They asked me for questions and I didn't really want to provide them because I wanted it to evolve organically. And what it turned into was essentially everyone agreed that the way things are happening now are not working for anybody, businesses or the individual employees. It has to change and we haven't figured it out yet. So we're all trying to determine how we can best influence the change positively going forward. But there is what, what inspired me was there seems to be a lot of really smart people who understand the problem as I see it and are willing to roll up their sleeves and get to the work and move that forward. So as the program finishes, that's kind of my next chapter, which is to connect myself with as many people as possible who are values driven, um, who understand that today's corporate environment, whatever that industry is, whatever country you operate in, doesn't work. 
and that we need to change things going forward. And nobody has the market cornered on good ideas. So let's talk about it and let's try and solve the problem with a bunch of different perspectives. Because ultimately, when you tether together a bunch of values-driven people who have a bias for action, stuff gets done. Um, and that's really where I think I can have some successes. I've made a career out of moving things forward when other people could not. Sustaining momentum when everything else is telling you to slow down. And I'm looking forward to taking that journey from Sao Paulo, Mexico City, Nashville, and applying all of those learnings in addition to the rule book and the playbook that I developed in 20 years of business into helping that transition going forward. And I was having a chat with somebody just recently. I think each human being on this planet has two or three gifts. We all do. That we're really talented at. And for me, as I go forward, I really want to marry up my gifts to what I do professionally because I think I can have the biggest impact at that point in time. And if I think back to Sao Paulo and Mexico City, for me now it's about impact. And not impact in a monetary sense. I don't need a full bank account. I don't need five cars in my garage. I don't need three houses all across the world. I want to make an impact in terms of make the world a better place than when I found it. That's the impact that I want to have. If if I decide in the future I want to have other forms of success, th those to me will be lagging measures. That's not the reason why, and it's not the impetus for the change. The impetus for the change for me is I've seen the world differently. I view it in a different context, and I want to help make things better for people going forward, whether they're in businesses, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're just sole practitioners, because I think there's an opportunity to do that. And I think my ability to convey ideas in a compelling way gives me an opportunity to reach people that otherwise would not have been reached. Um, but I'll be honest, um, I struggled with that because I'm not super comfortable being front of house. I'm much more comfortable in a collaborative environment where the attention and the credit is spread to everybody else but myself. I'm in human resources. I, I mean, I'm a supportive function. My job is to enable. I get paid to enable. If HR is the most prominent portion of your organization, that's tough because unless you're an HR consultancy firm, it should be your operation and your customer that should lead the charge. So I make sure that I position my department as a supportive and an enabler so far as the organization is concerned. And that's generally how I like to view my work outside of my organization as well. Having said that, what I noticed clearly through this LinkedIn process, thought leadership, documentaries, was that there's nobody else talking about this with my experience in the way that I'm talking about it. Um, and if I see there's a problem, and I know that I can have an impact on the solution, for me not to do anything, would I don't know if I can accept that for myself. So I'm choosing to not go down that path, but rather to invest my time, my energy, my passions into making that difference. Um, and I'm confident with given the people that I've met and given the things that I'm hearing that, that, we're, that as a society, whether you're sitting in Vancouver, whether you're sitting in Croatia, whether you're sitting in Cape Town or Boston, that there's other people that want to see that same change and that we're ready for that. So let's get going. What I will suggest, you know, 
I will tell you what I experience as some of main points as your answer for me, how to reach my goals through your, sure. through your model. Yep. So uh, those uh, triggers were eye-opening, inspiration, innovation, uh, the context, the importance of the context. So you spoke about the Vancouver context, the Mexico context, the, you know, and I, I understand you completely because I was part of the World Economic Forum. Uh, so you, you heard about the NGO. It, it was it was great. In '99, we were in, uh, you know, in Monterrey, Mexico. We were in uh, Belfast. Uh, I was crying listening to guys, you know, that, that were killing each other and now they are in good well, for now, <laughs> they're in good, <laughs> good. So it was an amazing experience. Uh, anyway, so the context, expertise, relationships or interaction, relation, interaction, and give. You have great, great energy. I was living in San Francisco for some time, in Sydney, in London. So I can understand you, but I can understand different cultures as well. So that's the synergy that two of us have. So let's use it and let's let's bring that positive vibration, positive motivation to people. What I experience, yep. your journey is basically a part of your existing that's right. Or maybe model that you are just developing. That's right. And from that model, if I'm right, you will be able to write great book, do great courses, and earn some money, you know, and build you, your name. Are you okay if I were to introduce a couple more words? Absolutely. I'm okay. completely fine. Because what I will do is um, I, I'd like to introduce simplicity. Um, and I'd like to include diversity. What kind of values are important to me? And I think it's a really interesting question today, especially as the world is changing and as leaders are increasingly asked to, to, to not, not necessarily be different, but to look at problems differently. I mean, the challenges around organizational structures, which is where I spend most of my time, um, clearly previous models were more top-down. And now we're operating in a more dynamic, agile environment where it's much more predicated on relationships. And we've talked about relationships, and we will talk about more about relationships, I'm sure, as this call goes on. The importance of developing those, I think, is absolutely critical. And I think that emotional intelligence becomes a critical competency going forward. It is today. But this becomes increasingly more important, especially as you automate the manual transactional tasks that human beings are performing. So I think from that perspective, as you look at the automation of administration and, and compliance activities, that means that we as a, as a workforce, as a species, need to transition and provide value in other areas. And the value that we're going to provide, I'm excited about because to me, it's about relationships. And that's where I think we were meant to play. Um, and I think that's where uh, most of us have strength. It's going to be awkward to transition into that period of time. But ultimately, I think that if we employ the right type of thinking, given the opportunity, we can make a really positive difference going forward. Things are not working right now. Um, I get changes hard, but we're not standing on a very concrete piece of land today. It's not stable at some point this will tip over. So I would much rather be deliberate and pragmatic about the future than just close my eyes, cross my fingers and hope that things never change. That's, that's not reality. 
Um, in terms of the values that I think are important going forward, and I would extend these not only to myself, but also to people that I interact with and I spend time with, I think the first thing for me is simplicity. Um, and that may seem like a really interesting concept when I talked a lot about the complexity of the world and how dynamic it is. But for me, simplicity is absolutely critical because in, a con in, the, in the context of um, leadership, in the context of business, 15 years ago, you could monetize knowledge and monetize information. If you had it and I didn't, you had value that I didn't have and you therefore had power. Today, information is ubiquitous and it's very cheap. And so is the creation of that information. The three pieces for me that are, that are most important related to, to that going forward is the synthesization of complex ideas into simple concepts, the curation of those simple concepts into an order that makes sense, and storytelling, which is, again, taking those pieces and conveying it in a compelling way to an audience. I think that's how you get your message across nowadays, whether you're a content marketer, whether you're a thought leader, and whether you're just a business person trying to cut through all of the noise. So I think simplicity for me is a, is a, is a means to achieve that. A very complex, academic, robust idea is not going to resonate with the majority of the population. However, simplicity will. And I tend to believe that there's genius in simplicity, that taking something complex and making it digestible and accessible is the path to success, especially today. Um, I think the second thing that I would, I would value a lot for me is relationship. So for, for my career, I've had a lot, I've had a fair amount of success on my own, um, in spite of myself. Um, and as I, as I look back at my career and some of the things that I would do differently, I wish I would have leveraged relationship a lot more earlier in my career. But when I was 25, I thought I had the world figured out. And I thought that, um, I was smarter than most people that I talked to. Maybe that was true, but I've also learned through experience that it's not about being the smartest person in the room. And there's not a lot of ideas out there that are, it's not binary. So it's not right versus wrong. It's perspective. So as you get older and learn that it's just shades of the truth and it's shades of um, different people's values and their perspectives on different issues. And I have a much higher tolerance and threshold and acceptance. And in some cases, actually in a lot of cases, curiosity about different ways of viewing the same problem, because I think that's the means to having success. And this for me crystallized in a corporate context, because as I was asked to lead large transformational projects, I, I had large cross-functional teams that I'd work with. And I didn't have that hammer that I could say, thou shall do this. I had to work cross-functionally. I had to work in dynamic environments for people that didn't need to take direction from me, but had been assigned or seconded to a project that I was working on. And I learned very quickly that if I just tried to plow my ideas forward, we didn't get very far. Like we got to a certain point, but we didn't have the, the buy-in and the acceptance. And we didn't have the success we wanted because people will only commit themselves conditionally if you don't hear them out. But when you engage people and when you work on relationships and you try and surface different ways of thinking, give people the respect and the credibility to have an open conversation, even if you don't end up going with their idea 100%, just hearing them out and, and demonstrating the importance that you place in the relationship removes so many barriers to success and to progress that ultimately that time investment up front is paid back tenfold on the back end of that process. And I learned that in a very visceral way and in a very experiential way. So but I want to be clear on that because that wasn't, that didn't come naturally to me. I had to learn that the hard way through feedback and through feedback as a result of negative experiences or I guess constructive experiences um, where my leadership was called into question. My ability to work within teams was called into question and rightfully so because my, my 
I was mostly interested in what the benefit was for me. If I'm really being honest, I mean, that was the primary goal. Yes. I was, you know, I would say the right things publicly, but when it push came to shove, my actions didn't match my words. And today as a second, as an aside, that's poison. Like if your actions don't match your words in today's environment, we have the internet, everything is documented. So you have to be consistent with what you say, or people will check out. And as I mentioned before, given the amount of information and the amount of resources and places people can go to for information or for content or for entertainment or for knowledge, if you don't have credibility, you don't have an audience. And if you don't have an audience, you're talking by yourself in your room. So if you want to make a difference, which I think we'll talk more about on this episode today, I certainly do. I think you need to have people buy in. And I think that you need to listen to them because more often than, well, in every case I've dealt with, people know the problems. My job is to help surface them and help them have some traction and success and enable them to have solutions to their problems. That's what I'm interested in, not applying my vision of the world and try and push it down across people that I work with, but rather have them surface issues that are are having, have them surface issues that for them are important. And if they align with what I'm trying to do, provide some mutual value. Um, The third piece that um, I think is important from a, from a cultural perspective or from a values perspective for me is context. And it ties into that, the last comment, because I'm a big believer now in shades of gray, as opposed to black and white. And context for me is just shades of gray. Um, I have strong opinions about a number of topics. I don't believe they're any more right than yours, but I believe in them myself. And I try and align my actions and my words to my values every day. Um, And if that means that we have a disagreement, I'm okay with that. As long as it's respectful and as long as you hear me out and I hear you out, I'm quite okay if we don't disagree, we don't agree on everything. Um, and I'm okay. I have a high amount of, of patience and acceptance and curiosity for different perspectives because, I, as I mentioned before, I don't have the market corner on good ideas and, and nobody does. So I learn new things from people every single day that if I didn't have that contextual learning mindset that I would probably not get, but rather I would seek to reinforce my own current biases and I wouldn't grow as a professional or as a person. And for me, both those things are really, really important. So that's why I think context is, is key both in terms of exposing yourself to new ways of thinking, but also applying a different lens to a problem. Because I think that sometimes the problem is, is difficult to solve because it requires more than one person to fix it. And that's where things tend to break down is we tend to want to do things our own way. Uh, and the problems we're trying to fix now are so much more dynamic and so much more complex. There's not just one solution. And it's, it's not fix it and it goes away. Like it's fix it and then keep sustaining it and keep working at it and keep challenging yourself. We're trying to solve a problem that is not stationary in a world that's not stationary with individuals that are not stationary. It's incredibly dynamic. And therefore context for me is everything. There are very few things in my life now that are binary. Um, and then the last piece I would say that for me is, is really important. Actually, I had two more, but the second to last piece for me is diversity. It, this all ties in together. Uh, I've been really blessed uh, over the last year to spend time in a number of international cities, a number of countries around the globe, and meet with people from dozens of countries. Um, I also pride myself on, I network every single week as part of my own personal time where I talk to at least two to three new people every single week from around the world, just to see what's what's going on, what's their story, 
what are they working on? What challenges are they facing? What's, what successes have they had? I share mine. I learn something new from each one of those conversations. Um, it's the reason I know that the, the hub of innovation for e-learning right now is in Australia. Didn't know that before I had those phone calls. Didn't realize that AI was absolutely critical in the UK. Because in Canada, we don't talk about it that much. But that exposure to different cultures for me opens up in terms of different ways of thinking, different perspectives. And you know, with even within my own team here at uh, YISC, um, I pride our our team on the fact that we're very, very diverse. So if we took a team picture, we couldn't be more different. I mean, we have different ages and genders and, and nationalities and perspectives and, and experience levels. And I love that in the context of having a team discussion because yeah, it takes a bit longer when everyone wants to share their opinion, but ultimately I think it leads to a much better decision in the long run that everyone can live with. And that takes into account all the unique differences that I may not even see given my own position in the organization. So for me, diversity is critical. I also think diversity is critical because with trend, this is a global economy now. We are in a global world. Um, I can speak to, as you can, anybody for the most part that you want to very inexpensively. As well, a lot of the problems that we're facing are consistent. We're just at different stages of the same problem. So I think there's huge value in, in tethering together what has previously been disparate connections. And last but not least, what I would say, Martin, is for me, gift is really, really important. Um, I've talked a, a bit about on this call about my previous selfishness. And I would say that one of the big learnings that I've been able to gather over the last 12 months has been the more you give, the more you get, which is a completely, it's, it's, it's like for me, that was, I've heard it before. People have said it. I don't know that I accepted it, but having experience now, I like, I couldn't agree more. The irony is, is that when you take a gift, uh, uh, you, when you try and provide more value than you get in return, you end up getting more value than you intended. That's the first kind of amazing kind of, inconsistency in terms of what you would think, at least what I would think would happen. Um, so that was kind of the first eye opener. Give more than you get, you get that. But what I would say is my value structure has shifted. So when I say get, for me, the get I'm going to get, the value I will attain through this for this journey that I'm on right now will be seeing the, the impact that we can have that helps other people. That's That's what's in it for me. I'm not interested in, in the five-car garage, the multiple homes, having that jet-setting lifestyle. Not, not on my priority list. Two years ago, it was. Today, it's not. I value the impact far greater than the tangible material aspects. But here's the irony. If you still value material, tangible assets, or you want knowledge, or you want publicity, or you want fame, or you want any one of those aspects, the key is giving more than you get. It's all those things I just mentioned are lagging measures to generosity. So I try really hard to, to give wherever I possibly can, because I think one, I'm in a, in a privileged position and I can do that. So I should do that. And two, I've always generated much more value in watching other people grow than I have in my own success. So for me, that's what I get. Um, out, of, out of the relationship. And ultimately, um, it's what gets me up in the morning. I mean, I'm in human resources. So other people's success is my job. It's my life. And it's the reason why I keep doing what I'm doing. And I love gift in the sense that for everyone, it's a little bit different. And 
to me, it's just a path to relationship through gift is a really powerful connection. And as I meet more and more people from around this world, I can tell you, it's there's very few things that I would say are universally true that I've experienced. This is one. So when I talk to people in West Africa or in Western Europe or in Australia, New Zealand, this idea of generosity of time and, and energy and passion resonates in all of those places. And that's very convenient for me. That's kind of how I view life. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on iTunes. Tom Poland is on air soon. Serial entrepreneur who started his first advisory business at age 24. And in that time, he's managed teams of over 100 people and annual revenue of more than $20 million. So if you are advisor, coach, trainer, consultant, super business model for creating demand and generate a flow of high quality leads, I did my homework, of course, analyzed the content and prepared some great questions for Tom. Spread the word by leaving a rating and review on iTunes.